have to talk about coming to Christmas is this whole question of crime. What does it mean to be a criminal in this society? That had to be broken up. And in my case, Ronald Reagan was the governor of California. Richard Nixon was the president of the U.S. The whole apparatus of the state was set up against me. And they really meant to send me to the death chamber in order to make a point. The actions of the FBI in apprehending Angela Davis, a rather remarkable uh, story again. In the, long the system tried to put the sister on trial, and the sister said, no, we're putting you on trial. comes in big afro she didn't go press her hair she was facing major time you know most people they'd have got a nice little press you know what i mean they'd have been there with little white gloves on praying to jesus she came in like this and she devastated the prosecution and walked out of there free but the question is how did you get there you get there by confrontation violence oh is that the question you were asking yeah. i grew up in birmingham alabama uh, uh, after the four young girls who were, who lived very, who lived, one of them lived uh, next door to me, um, I was very good friends with the sister of, of another one. My, my sister was very good friends with all three of them. My mother taught one of them in her class, and they went down, and what did they find? They found limbs and heads strewn all over the place. I remember from the time I was very small, I remember the sounds of bombs exploding across the street, our house shaking. I remember my father having to have guns at his disposal at all times because of the fact that at any moment uh, uh, someone we might expect to be attacked. I mean, that's why when someone asked me about violence, uh, uh, I just... Uh, I just find it incredible, it, because it, what it means is that the person who's asking that question has absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa. And when you strip out a whole generation of leadership, running folk out the country, killing folk, framing folk, you will be vulnerable to Bill Clinton or anybody else, and they'll do to you what they will. neighborhood watch leader saw Martin walking inside a gated subdivision near Orlando. He thought the 17-year-old looked suspicious. He got his hand in his waistband. Yeah, he's a black male. He's get away. Are you following him? Yeah, okay, we don't need you to do that. Do you think he's yelling help? Yes. 
Tonight, a deadly shooting in Sanford. Police have the gun. They've got the shooter, but they have not arrested him. George Zimmerman, armed with a gun, followed this quote-unquote suspicious kid after the dispatchers told him not to. They ended up on the ground in a fight, and George Zimmerman shot and killed Trayvon Martin. The police could not arrest Zimmerman because of this Florida law called Stand Your Ground, which says you can kill someone if you feel threatened, even though it was Zimmerman who had pursued Martin throughout the neighborhood with a gun. Mr. Zimmerman felt that he, in uh, self-defense, needed to, uh, to fire his weapon. Not only was he not arrested after the killing, but in court, Zimmerman actually pleaded self-defense and got off under the Stand Your Ground law. We, the jury, find George Zimmerman not guilty. The Stand Your Ground law that was passed in Florida played a huge role in the Trayvon Martin tragedy, and this really ignited the movement that we see today. Death, Florida's Stand Your Ground law came into the spotlight. How did this law not only get in place in Florida, but around the country? And all the fingers kept pointing back to Alec. Alec sounds like the name of a high school lacrosse player who just got baked and wrecked his dad's sob. But, but incredibly, it's actually even worse. Alec is a political lobbying group. Alec is a political lobbying group. They write laws. They write laws. And give them to Republicans. And give them to Republicans. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Was written by Alec. Alec is this private club, and its members are politicians and corporations. But the real question is, should politicians and corporations be in the same private club? Under the umbrella of Alec, corporate members uh, get to propose laws to their political counterparts, most of whom are Republicans. So through Alec, corporations have a huge say in our lawmaking. And at Alec task force meetings, corporate lobbyists secretly vote as equals with lawmakers on bills that those lawmakers then introduce to become laws in our states. ALEC is everywhere. Roughly one in four state legislators are members. And I am proud to stand with ALEC today. And it's not hard to see why. ALEC makes their jobs troublingly easy. Here's their model electricity freedom bill, which at one point says, be it therefore enacted that the state of, insert state, repeals the renewable energy mandate. So, as long as you can remember and spell the name of your state, you can introduce legislation. We've also seen ALEC bills introduced where a lawmaker forgot to take the ALEC letterhead off the bill without remembering to take off the ALEC letterhead to try to distance uh, the real role of ALEC and ALEC corporations from those bills. I'm just curious, does it have, does the legislation have some connection to ALEC? Representative Atkins, I'm not sure why we're pursuing this course of questioning. This bill is my bill. It's not Alex's bill. The reason I ask is because earlier you passed out a, um, a handout that says Gottwalt at the top, and it says Healthcare Compact, and there's a logo right in the middle of that page. And I went to the Alec website, and there's exactly the same, the same font, uh, the same size, and the same logo. I mean, literally, it's verbatim. Well, it's totally shocking to know that Alec has been around for more than four decades now. And it's even more startling to see how it began. ALEC has forged a unique partnership between state legislators and leaders from the corporate and business community. Corporations have been influencing laws for decades now through ALEC. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. 
As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Nearly every Alec bill benefits one of its corporate funders. The corporation Walmart was a long-standing member of Alec at the time that it adopted the so-called Stand Your Ground law. It's a law that created an atmosphere where gun sales boomed. Walmart is the biggest seller of long guns in the U.S., has been the largest retailer of bullets in the world. So it's reasonable to think that Walmart benefited from these Stand Your Ground laws that Alec pushed that initially prevented the arrest of the killer of Trayvon Martin uh, and was designed to prevent the arrest, prosecution, and conviction of the killer of Trayvon Martin, including through changing the jury instructions to require that a jury be told that uh, someone like George Zimmerman has a right to stand his ground, but not that someone like Trayvon Martin has a right to stand his ground against someone like George Zimmerman with a gun uh, assailing him. After the outcry over Stand Your Ground and the Trayvon Martin tragedy, Walmart stepped out of ALEC. It left ALEC, abandoned ALEC. Um, but the Walmart family continues to fund ALEC. Other corporations followed suit and stepped away from ALEC, but many corporations are still members, including Coke Industries, State Farm Insurance, Pharma, which is the lobbying group for the pharmaceutical industry. ALEC has been supported by the tobacco industry, as well as AT&T and Verizon. And for nearly two decades, one of those corporations was Corrections Corporation of America. Every day we serve our communities, from small towns to large cities at more than 60 locations across our country. As the nation's fifth largest correctional system, we build, own, and manage secure correctional facilities. CCA was the first private prison corporation in the U.S. It started as a small company in Tennessee in 1983. These folks started making contracts with states, and they had to protect their investments, so the states were required to keep these prisons filled, even if nobody was committing a crime. And in the late 80s and early 90s, this became a growth industry, unlike very few growth industries in America's history. Uh, it was absolutely uh, a model guaranteed to succeed. And one of the ways we see that is through um, the role of CCA within ALEC to advance a series of bills. All the legislation you could think of that we fight so hard against, three strikes, you're out. Three strikes and you are out. Mandatory minimum sentencing laws. Serve at least 85% of their sentence. We're the ones that were putting out there, like on a, a premier prefix dinner menu, a steady influx of bodies to generate the profit that would go to the shareholders. Through ALEC, CCA became the leader in private prisons. It's a multi-billion dollar business today that gets rich off punishment. We are America's leader in partnership corrections. We are CCA. And so through ALEC, CCA had a hand in shaping crime policy across the country, including not just prison privatization, but the rapid increase in criminalization. I think, I think this, this accusation that, uh, you know, quite frankly, is just false, that somehow uh, Alec was in favor of imprisoning a bunch of people for, uh, because of private prisons, I, you know, I think that's just, unfortunately, you know, one of these attack-type tactics they do on Alec. Alec pushed forward a number of policies to increase the number of people in prison and to increase the sentences of people who, who are in prison. I'm, I'm trying to think how to address it. It's hard to address something that's like basically, you know, almost like folklore at this point. They are not doing anything to really clean up 
that passed which addressed the real consequences for real people of the extreme policies they pushed. In fact, it doesn't even talk about its past history. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even understand uh, what they're, what they're even talking about, a lot of it. CCA directly benefited, directly profited from its investment in ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, and the American people in many ways were harmed by these policies due to the mass incarceration of people, particularly people of color. Look, right now our position is that we want less people in prison. I don't think that helps the private prison industry, quite frankly. I think myself and the lawmakers, we're just always looking for better, innovative ways to run government. And I think that's one thing as conservatives, those who believe in the free market and limited government, we pride ourselves on we're supposed to be the, people, the party of innovation. Another bill that Alec innovated was SB 1070. CCA was on the Alec task force that pushed that law that gave police the right to stop anyone they thought looked like an immigrant. This law filled immigration detention facilities and it directly benefited an ALEC member, CCA. CCA could potentially reap huge financial benefits from SB 1070 since 1070 was designed to lock up a lot more people in Arizona on federal immigration charges. Cha-ching! An influx of undocumented immigrants, many of them children, has crammed... In Arizona, Corrections Corporation of America, or CCA, holds the federal contract to house detained immigrants. It's worth more than $11 million every month. Our uh, immigration facilities are a disgrace. Their families kept there uh, in horrible conditions. They're called detention facilities, but they're really prisons for immigrants. That you call them a detention facility doesn't make them not a prison. They are a prison, they just have a different name. We're having what some people are saying is a creation of a crimigration system. That there's the merger of our immigration enforcement and our law enforcement system. And so that some of the same things that were used in the war on drugs are now migrating to other populations. You heard it uh, with Donald Trump, not about blacks, but with Mexicans. You know, oh, well, they're rapists, murderers. Uh, oh, and by the way, some of them may be good people. Oh boy, you know, where do you start on something like that? In late 2010, CCA left ALEC after a big NPR story came out accusing ALEC of pushing SB 1070. ALEC doesn't do anything on immigration. No, no which way, not to the right, not to the left, nothing. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really have anything for you on that one, sorry. ALEC has recently made what I would describe as a PR move to say that it's gonna be right on crime, that it's gonna be on the right side of criminal justice policy and reform. That move comes in the wake of its loss of a massive number of corporations. What ultimately happened is our board looked at the issues that Alec worked on and decided that we don't do social issues. We are focused on economic issues. We jettisoned basically uh, almost all of our legislation that was pre-2007. So we basically uh, fresh slate going forward, fresh start going forward. This industry knows that it's dying and is actually preparing for the next thing. And the animating factors that have led to such a system like bail, we're, ne we're always gonna see new permutations of, of a cancer, right? And that's what this is. And over the last couple of years, since 2008, we've been involved really in a, in a wholesale reform effort where 31 states have now adopted positive changes on sentencing, on parole and probation reforms. ALEC has a concerted effort to privatize almost every aspect of government, but we had no idea that they were also aiming to try to privatize probation and parole. 
Alec is no longer concerned about CCA and CCA's interest. CCA no longer has a seat at the table with Alec, so it doesn't have a, a financial interest in advancing policies that increase the profits of CCA. But the American Bail Coalition is still part of Alec. Today, our state penitentiaries are filled to the brim and overflowing with inmates. When I think of systems of oppression, uh, historically in this country and elsewhere, they're durable and they tend to reinvent themselves and they do it right under your nose. One of the things they want to do is GPS monitoring. Having a home confinement system for juveniles I think is a great thing because it forces the parents to take responsibility and step up. Prisons would be more embedded in our homes. Some of them be monitored on GPS and things like that. So folks won't be locked up in a cage in a cell inside of an institution but they will have ankle bracelets on. They have wrist braces on. Would that help to solve the prison overcrowding problem? Absolutely. And what I worry about is that we fall asleep at the wheel, wake up, and realize that we may not have people in prisons, in rural communities all over America, but that we're incarcerating people right in their communities. That is what I see, what, what a lot of the focus is on, is taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole and probation, and really investing in those programs. How much progress is it really if communities of color are still under perpetual surveillance and control, but now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor, rather than the person being locked in a literal cage. If we can help you save crime victims in your legislative district, you don't mind me making a dollar. And so Alec continues to be a body that, while it may have some really strong rhetoric on why it supports crime reform now, suddenly, uh, sort of out of the blue, uh, it, it actually has real financial interests. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you're in the prison business, uh, you don't want reform. You may say you do, but you don't. And there are a bunch of people out there desperately trying to make sure that that prison population does not drop one person because their economic model needs that. Prison industrial complex refers to the system of mass incarceration and companies that profit from mass incarceration. That includes both operators of private prisons, which get a lot of attention, as well as a vast sea of vendors. From Securus Technologies that supplies telephone services that made 114 million in, in profits last year. Those calls to family and friends are costing a pretty penny in state prisons. They inflate the price that they charge the inmate and the inmate's family. For example, in Maryland, if you earn minimum wage, you'd have to work an hour and a half to afford a 10-minute phone call. There's also Aramark, one of the big food service providers. In more than one state, they've been accused of having maggots in the, in the food that they've served. Horizon Healthcare provides healthcare services in 28 different states, multi-million dollar contracts for this service. Huge incentives given to, to uh, contractors for very long contracts. So it's actually a disincentive to provide this service because you're going to be paid anyway. One of the reasons it's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration in this country and to question it is because it has become so heavily monetized. A little company called Unicor that does $900 million in business annually how do they do it? Volume. Also, prison labor. 
Partnerships between correctional industries and private business are a rapidly growing segment of a multi-billion dollar industry in America. We talk about sweatshops and we, you know, we beat our fists at, at people overseas for exploiting uh, poor free labor, but we don't look that it's happening right here at home every day. You have corporations who are now investing in, in, in uh, this free labor. It's all over. Uh, it's from sports, uniforms, hats, Microsoft, Boeing. Federal inmates are making the guidance systems for the Patriot Missile System. J.C. Penney jeans made in Tennessee. Victoria's Secret. Anderson Flooring wood products are made in Georgia. It's always been Idaho potatoes. They're planted, grown, harvested, packed, and shipped by inmates. Victoria's Secret and J.C. Penney switched suppliers once their ties came to light. Simply put, corporations are operating in prisons and profiting from punishment. Prison industries have gotten so big that it's very difficult now to try and do away with them. Too much money out there, too many uh, lawmakers that support it because they're being lobbied. So the public's got to stand up and take it back. It'll never get done if they don't. On the night of his arrest, Khalif Browder was walking home from a party with his friends in the Bronx when he was stopped by police. Khalif was um, charged with a crime, a really petty crime uh, that it turns out he didn't commit. Then they said, we're going to take you to the precinct and most likely we're going to let you go home and then I never went home. They told you that you could post bail? Yes, that's correct. $10,000? Yes. And of course? I, I couldn't make that. Hmm. My family couldn't pay it. There are thousands of people in jails right this moment that are sitting there for no other reason than because they're too poor to get out. We have a criminal justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth not culpability shapes outcomes. And I think what most Americans think of, because they've watched so many courtroom dramas and things like that, they think that criminal justice system is about judges and juries. Well, well, that's really stopped being the case. The system simply cannot exist if everyone decides to go to trial. Everybody insisted on a trial, the whole system would shut down. What typically happens is the prosecutor says, you know, you can make a deal and we'll give you three years, or you can go to trial and we'll get you 30. So you want to take that chance, feel free. Nobody in the hood goes to trial. 97% of those people who were locked up have plea bargain. And that is one of the worst violations of human rights that you can imagine in the United States. You have in this country people pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit just because the thought of going to jail for what the mandatory minimums are is so excruciating. Khalif Browder decided, I'm not going to take the plea. So you had to choose between being in prison for up to 15 years and going home right then by admitting you did a crime you didn't do. I felt like I was done wrong. I felt like something needed to be done about this. I felt like something needs to be said. If I just cop out and say that I did it, nothing's going to be done about it. I didn't do it. No justice is served. What you're not taught is that if you exercise that right to a trial, and you are convicted, we will punish you more. The courts basically punished him for having the audacity to not take a plea deal 
and to want to take it to trial. And in that time, in those three years that he was sitting there and not being charged for anything, that's when um, his, the mental health issues started to deteriorate. Yeah. He started to get into fights. After a while, I just kept hearing the same thing from the whole three years, and I just learned to cope with just just being in there, and I was, that was rough. I already knew, I, after a while, I just gave up hope. Three years on, on Rikers Island, two of that in solitary confinement, and he was a child, a baby. You miss everything, everything about being home, the fresh air, your family, certain events, you want to be home. And then when they give you an offer to go home right then and there, it's like, I want to go home, but then you know you didn't do it, so you don't want to plead, take the plea and say that you do it, it's not right. I was scared all day because I didn't know where it would come from. I don't know any, where any harm would come. Khalif suffered through so many beatings, both by the people he was locked up with and the guards, he ended up attempting suicide on several occasions. After almost three years in jail waiting his trial, they dropped all the charges and he was set free. Wow. He spent two years in an environment that people have argued is designed to break you within 30 days. I mean, I can't, I can't really tell you what's next, but this happens every day. Two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself at his home in the Bronx. Damn. He was 22 years old. Play guilty, Jesus. then my story would have been never been heard. Wow. Nobody would have took the time to listen to me. I'd have been just another criminal. Prison industrial complex, the system, the industry, it is a beast. It eats black and Latino people for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We didn't even think about who gets the jobs of spending time with these folks. Otherwise, we'd want social workers and teachers. We'd want uh, people with understanding of human behavior. And we do the opposite. You immediately become numb. I think that's what jail does to humans, that immediate dehumanization and sensory deprivation that nobody can really understand unless they live through it. So the last 14 years, my son has uh, not had any human contact other than to be handcuffed by an officer. Uh, he doesn't even have a window in his cell, and that's one thing that really disturbs me, it troubles me. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that we would even have such an architectural design in our country. I never realized that there was prison cells built like that. Human beings are not born to be locked up and encaged. Most people wouldn't keep their pets in the kind of conditions that we keep people in. Prisons and jails have become warehouses in the sense that 
um, where we've moved as a society is that it's not enough to just deprive you of your liberty, um, but we want to punish you too. Most of the society um, don't understand what it means to be behind those big gates and those barbed wires. Once somebody is arrested and convicted, they're gone. Nobody particularly cares about them. In many ways, the prison system are sort of in the dark. So it makes it a lot easier, you know, cognitively and emotionally, it makes it a lot easier to say, send people there. If you look at the whole problem, you say, what are we doing? We have too many laws locking too many people up for too many things, giving them sentences that are too harsh, putting them in prison, uh, and while they're in prison, doing very little, if anything, to rehabilitate them so that they can re-enter civil society when they get out. And then when, we, when they get out, we shun them. Over 40,000 uh, collateral consequences for people that come through our criminal justice system. It's that question, have you been convicted of a felony that appears on the job application? In some cases, can affect your access to student loans. They can't get many business licenses, food stamps if they're hungry. Private rentals in regards to housing. It's that question that appears on life insurance. The scarlet letter follows you for the rest of your life in this country. In March of 2015, we had tens of thousands of people come to Selma to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the crossing of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And very few of those people realized that nearly 30% of the black male population of Alabama today has permanently lost the right to vote as a result of a criminal conviction. If you do something wrong, you should pay it back and then move forward with your life. But yet in America, there's absolutely zero closure. We actually tell American citizens when they pay back their debt to society, their citizenship will still be denied from them. So many aspects of the old Jim Crow are suddenly legal again once you've been branded a felon. And so it seems that in America, we haven't so much ended racial caste, but simply redesigned it. You want to make a change? We are now in an era where Democrats and Republicans alike have decided that it's not in their interest anymore to maintain uh, the prison system as it is. Now all of a sudden Hillary Clinton is meeting with Black Lives Matter activists and talking about it. It's time to change our approach and end the era of mass incarceration. She's made a major address on it. We will reform our criminal justice system from end to end and rebuild trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve. President Obama going to prison, you know, as the first sitting president to ever visit a prison. We've got an opportunity to make a difference at a time when overall violent crime rates have been dropping at the same time as incarcerations last year dropped for the first time in 40 years. And conservatives who were always seen or understood within the narrative as being the tough on crime ones, um, have now uh, embraced justice reform. It's very uh, man bites dog. You see, Texas used to spend billions locking people up for minor offenses. We shifted our focus to diversionary programs like community supervision. Uh, we gotta ask ourselves, do we feel comfortable uh, with people taking the lead of a conversation in a moment where it feels right politically? 
historically, when one looks at efforts to create reforms, they inevitably lead to more repression. And so if we leave it up to them, what they're going to do is they're going to tinker with the system. They're not going to do the sort of change that we need to see as a country to get us out of this mess. And they're certainly not going to go backwards and fix the mess that they've made because they're not ready to make that admission. But as a country, I don't think we've ever been ready to make the admission that we have steamrolled through entire communities and multiple generations when you think about things like slavery and Jim Crow and all the other systems of oppression that have led us to where we are today. So much fun. I love it. I love it. We having a good time. USA. USA. Knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously. because they used to treat them very, very rough. And when they protested once, you know, they would not do it again so easily. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. so fast. slavery jubilee we thought we were done then and then you had a hundred years of jim crow terror and lynching dr king these guys come on the scene ella joe baker fannie lou hamer we get the bills passed to vote and then they break out the handcuffs label you felon you can't vote or get a job so we don't know what the next iteration of this will be but it will be it will be and we will have to be vigilant I'm a prison cell, six by nine, living hell, stone wall, metal bars for the guards in jail. My nickname, the can, the slam of the big house. I'm the place many fear, cause there's no way out again. The Bureau of Justice reported uh, that one in three uh, young black males is expected to go to jail or prison during his lifetime, which is an unbelievably shocking statistic. Black men account for roughly six and a half percent of the U.S. population. They make up 40.2 percent of the prison population. 
now have more African-Americans under criminal supervision than all the slaves back in the 1850s. The prison industrial complex uh, uh, relies historically on the inheritances of slavery. The 13th Amendment says no involuntary servitude except for those who have been duly convicted of a crime. So once you've been convicted of a crime, you are in essence a slave of the state. The stroke of a pen is not self-enforcing, and so while the 13th Amendment is hailed as this great milestone for freedom and abolitionists celebrate, and you know this is the end of a lifelong quest, the reality is much more problematic. Well, once that clause is inserted in there, it becomes a tool. It's there. It's embedded in the structure, and for those who seek to use this criminality clause as a tool, it can become a pretty powerful one because it's privileged. It's in the Constitution. It's the supreme law of the land. Throughout American history, African Americans have repeatedly been controlled through systems of racial and social control that appear to die, but then are reborn in new form tailored to the needs and constraints of the time. You know, after the collapse of slavery, a new system was born, convict leasing, which was a new form of slavery. And once convict leasing faded away, a new system was born, a Jim Crow system that relegated African Americans to a permanent second-class status. And here we are, decades after the collapse of the old Jim Crow, and a new system has been born again in America, a system of mass incarceration that once again strips millions of poor people, overwhelmingly poor people of color, of the very rights supposedly won in the civil rights movement. And so instead of talking about it, uh, we just tried to move on. After the Civil Rights Act was passed and after the civil rights laws, we tried to play it off. And because we didn't deal with it, that narrative of racial difference continued. And it turned into this presumption of dangerousness and guilt that follows every black and brown person wherever they are. Ferguson was not simply about Mike Brown. It was also this pattern of mass criminalization and mass incarceration. There was an average of three warrants per household in Ferguson. And so people rose up because they understood that they were also enemies of the state, seen as enemies of the state. The communities in which black people live or really become occupied territories and black people have become seen as um, enemy combatants, right? Who don't have any rights and who can be stopped and frisked and, you know, arrested and detained and questioned and killed with impunity. We were to look at the largest scale riots that we know of uh, in you know, recent history, from Rodney King to the Detroit riot in 1967, the Newark riot in 1967, Harlem riot in 1964, Watts in 1965. Every single one of those riots was a result of police brutality. That is the common thread. Fight back! Fight back! Fight back! Fight back! Fight back!
It would be a mistake to say, as many people do in the current context, that, oh, if you're against the police, then you're against law and order, and these are hardworking civil servants, they're putting their lives on the line for you every day. And, you know, that's true. People who, who join the police do so, you know, to do these sorts of things. But if you dismiss black complaints of mistreatment by police as being completely rooted in our modern context, then you're missing the, the point completely. There has never been a period in our history where the law and order branch of the state has not operated against the freedoms, the liberties, the options, the choices that have been available for the black community, generally speaking. And to ignore that racial heritage, to ignore that historical context means that you can't have an informed debate about the current state of blacks and police relationship today. Because this didn't just appear out of nothing. This is the product of a, a centuries long historical process. And to not reckon with that is, is to shut off solutions. We may have lost the sheets of the Ku Klux Klan, but clearly, when you see black kids being shot down, then obviously we didn't cut out this cancer. For many of us, you know, who, 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 who families live through this, who are extensions of, of this kind of oppression, we don't need to see pictures to understand what's going on. It's really to kind of like speak to the masses who've been ignoring this for the majority of their life. But I also think there's trouble of just showing you know, black bodies as dead bodies too. It's too much of anything becomes un unhealthy, unuseful. I think they need to be seen if the family is okay with it. It wasn't until things were made visual in the civil rights movement that we really saw uh, folks come out and, and being shocked into movement. You have to shock people into paying attention. But there's a kind of historical trajectory that we can trace here um, through media and technology. We went back to um, the slavery era where people were writing autobiographies, the slave narratives. Later in the 19th century, people began to use photographs and they showed images. There's a famous image of Slave Gordon and his back, and you can see just this kind of lattice of scar tissue that is evidence of the whippings that he received or the images of lynchings which white people produced. The murder of Emmett Till was really thought of as being one of the primary catalysts for the civil rights movement. The willingness of his mother to have an open casket funeral Hundreds and hundreds of black folks filed past and see this young boy who had been killed by a white supremacist in the South. To publish those photographs in black publications so the entire black world, like our Facebook or our Twitter now, right? So that the whole black world could see what had happened. In the 1950s, Dr. King uh, and the uh, civil rights movement used television in this way. Look, this is what segregation looks like. These are dogs attacking children. These are people being firehosed. Searching for the medium of technology that will confirm your experience such that your basic humanity can be recognized. The difference now is somebody can hold up one of these, get what's going on, they can put it on YouTube, and the whole world has to deal with it. That's what's new. It's not the protest, it's not the brutality, it's the fact that we can force a conversation about it. We have been consistently being murdered as a result of police aggression. They generally would excuse it by calling us criminals. 
when they was killing Oscar Grant. When they got to Eric Gardner. Everyone pointed out the fact that he was saying, I, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But the sentences before that were, why are you always stopping me? Why is it day in and day out, week in and week out, you're stopping me? And that, I think, is uh, hugely important. When we think about the children who are killed at the hands of the state, um, I think about Tamir Rice at 12 years old and the way that he was killed, you know, it hits my heart. and social control known as mass incarceration which authorizes this kind of police violence that's why the for me the brilliance of black lives matter to have a distributed leadership model you can't you can't stop you can't find their address i mean black lives matter is not a stoppable phenomenon by a bullet or anything else and so there's hope there because of that having people truly understand that when black lives matter everybody's life matters, including every single person that enters this criminal justice system and this prison industrial complex. It's not just even about only black lives, right? It's about changing the way this country understands human dignity. matter moment is about this question of whose life do we recognize as valuable the opposite of criminalization is humanization uh, that, that's the one thing I hope that people will understand it's about rehumanizing us as a people and us, right, as a people, all of us. The system of mass incarceration has grown and sprawled and developed uh, appetite that is gobbling up people and communities of, of all colors. But if it hadn't been for the fact that it 
began with a group of people defined by race that we as a nation have learned not to care about, we wouldn't be talking about two million people behind bars today. People say all the time, well, I don't understand how people could have tolerated slavery. How could they have uh, made peace with that? How could people have gone to a lynching and participated in that? How did people uh, make sense of this segregation, this uh, white and colored only drinking? That's so crazy. I just, if I was living at that time, I would have never tolerated anything like that. And the truth is we are living at this time and we are tolerating it. Southern leaves, southern trees we hung from Barren souls, heroic songs unsung Forgive them father, they know this not as undone Tied with the rope that my grandmother died Pride of the pilgrims affect lives of millions Enslaved days separating fathers from children Institution ain't just a building But a method of having black and brown bodies filled them We ain't seen as human beings with feelings Will the U.S. ever be us, Lord willing? But now we know the new Jim Crow The stop, search, and arrest stop souls Police and policies patrol Philosophies of control A crew hand take it home We let go to free them so we can free us America's moment to come to Jesus Sings for freedom to ring Black bodies being lost in the American dream Blood of black being A pastoral scene Slavery still alive Check Amendment 13 Not whips and chains Are subliminal Instead of nigger They use the word criminal Sweet land of liberty Incarcerated country Shot me with your ray gun And now you wanna trump me Prison is a business America's the company Investing in the justice Fear and long suffering we staring in the face of hate again The same hate they say will make America great again No consolation prize for the dehumanized For America to rise is a matter of black lives And we gon' free them so we can free us America's moment to come to Jesus
Wow, it's powerful. You can watch this entirely to see the videos, to actually experience the information, the dialogue from way back from 1960s all the way up to now. You can go to YouTube, um, 13th Amendment. That's the name of this documentary. You can also see it entirely on Nextflex. They sponsored this, and I enjoyed the information that was presented to give us a more... Uh, let me rephrase that. A better understanding on what's happening now and how it has to change. And as a black woman, a black single woman, as a black married woman, as a black woman with a black son, a black woman raised black daughters, a black woman that have black nephews and nieces and cousins, this is a concern. My heart bleeds just to see the treatment. And as one uh, of the activists mentioned, dehumanizing us as an individual, as human beings. We are, like they say, when black lives matters, all lives matters. Because of all lives that are mattering, it's because of black lives. And how we are contributing to this society worldwide and have not accurately benefited from what we have presented. So to all my audience listeners worldwide, we are, um, we have our ears on throughout over 120 countries. Boom Factor is interpreted into several different languages. And I've noticed also some they have not spewed over and then there's some that have. And the Boom Factor, we will, and matter of fact, I am searching for a better submission because I know my voice have to be heard. I know what the Lord have put in my heart. He has built me up and encouraged me again to stay on the battlefield and go forward. So every information I tune into, I'll go back and I submit it. If I know that this is going to give some fresh awareness of what is really going on and not listening to what's going on in the news because they are only, they have a job to do too. And they only can share what their producers telling them to share, period. And the networks are all bought underneath this systematic control. So until I connect with you guys later, just go and, and, and be safe out here. If you go into a crowd, make sure you gloved up, masked up, and everything. Take care of yourself and be careful. And know that Psalms 91 is over you. God will protect you. He will heal you. He will touch you and renew you.
But you have to believe in him that he can do it for you. Okay? God bless you.